With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Unbreakable with Jay Glazer. A mental health podcast, helping you out of the gray and into the blue. Now, here's Jay Glazer. Welcome back to Unbreakable, a mental health podcast with Jay Glazer. And before I get to my guest, who has a huge week ahead of him. If you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in this country experienced mental illness last year. Yet far too many fellow receive the support they need. Carol on Behavioral Health is doing something about it. They understand that behavioral health is a key part of whole health, delivering compassionate care that treats physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carol and Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life through empathy and action. So welcome into Unbreakable, a mental health podcast. And the guest I have this week, you think there's twins, Rhonda and Tiki Barber. There's, there's actually three of us. Jake Laser is part of the, the family as well. And man, what a huge week it is for my brother, Rhonda Barber. Hall of Famer, Ron A. Barber, going to Canton, Ohio this week for that Hall of Fame. How we doing, buddy? Uh, be better in about, uh, let's say, seven days when all this is done. Wait, you have nerves? You never have nerves. No, not nerves. It's just a lot. You know how it is. You've been through this with some of your boys before. Uh, there's a lot going on. 400-plus people showing up for us, dude. That's wow. Thank God I have uh, a loving and uh, busybody wife. That has, has had no problems taking on all of this because I definitely would have been able to do what she's done uh, to get us ready. But I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm ready for it. Just so you know what he's talking about there. Um, Claudia, his wife, uh, he has 400 people coming and several of his friends are children like me. So I hit her up and I was like, hey, Claudia, you know, my tickets, my, like, what do I do? And she's like, oh, you got everything sent in, in the email. I'm like, Claudia, I'm a child. I don't know how to do things for myself. So she held my hand and made sure everything was set. You got 400 friends like that. You're like the guy that uh, shows up for the wedding and is like, oh, we were supposed to RSVP for that? Uh, sorry, I don't have to see for you. And I'm the gift. Yeah, you are the gift. <laughs> One so, here's what I want people to know. And I don't know if Rondé knows this part. But listen, he has a record for most consecutive starts ever by a DB. Played 16 years, three-time All-Pro, which means you're the best at your position. Two-time second-team All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, All-Decade Team for 2000s. Has Jersey retired from college, Super Bowl champion, Hall of Famer. But I don't know if you know this. Rondé Barber is the first person I ever called 
but not to get choked up here, that I ever called, ever, when I was struggling and told them. And tell people this, man, lean into your friends and your teammates. This was the Tampa Super Bowl a couple years ago. Myself and him and my friend Brian and Ben asked them to go to do dinner. And they said, now we're all busy. And I said, no, dude, I need to have dinner. I'm struggling. And my dude was there for me. Always there for you, Jay. I mean, you were there for me back when I was a nobody. I, I People don't know that. that. There was a time when it was Tiki in New York and Ronnie was a, I don't know what I was back then. Uh, but we became friends back then. And that was, 20, let's, let's put 25 years on that. I think right. that at least 25 years ago. So one thing that I can provide for you and for all my friends, uh, but especially you, because we've been through so much. It, I know what your life journey has been. I've been through a lot of it from afar here recently, but I was there at the beginning when you were trying to make it. And, and, you, and then you make it, you have such this profound influence on the world of sport. And at the end of the day, people don't know you're struggling. So if you ask me for that, I will absolutely be there. And I know that I have a very positive outlook on life. Um, I feel like I haven't had many bad days. I've had some. I feel like I haven't had many bad days. But if I can light, lighten up your life and let you know how much you're loved, brother, you can call me anytime. And here's the thing, folks. That was the first time I ever, like, I never said anything straight. I never said anything that the rock, really. I never, you know, my best friend, I never said anything. Had Rondé and them said, no, no, we're busy. Man, I don't know if I would have opened up to the world and had this, you know, God for everybody else to be able to lean into your friends and your teammates. But because you said, oh, you know, first, oh, I'm busy. Then, oh, you're struggling. I'm there. It allowed me to teach everybody else. This is what happens when you lean into your crew. They respond. They're there for you. And that just started the most incredible chain reaction for, I think, a lot of us, brother. Well, there's also the fact that, you know, my friends have always been there for me, too. So when Brian and Ben, nobody in the world knows who those guys are, but we do. Right. Uh, Those guys, they has been as solid for me as I could possibly expect from, you know, two guys that I met as an adult and granted we met as an adult too. It's not like, you know, not, eh, Jay, kind of. not, as, not as, not as if Jay was actually born out of the room <laughs> of Geraldine Barber, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the companionship and the uh, you know, the love that has been fostered through all, all of our years. I got that later with those guys and those guys, because they love me, love you. I, I swear. I think back to that night sometimes and I'm thankful for, you know, that family extends itself because not a lot of people have families, you know, close enough families that they can go to, but um, everybody should have that extension of family uh, that you can always rely on. And I've always had that. And I'll always be that for you, man. That's a whole fame friend because folks, I was struggling, right? And you, and I've always put on this face and he's known the glaze and all that stuff. Oh yeah. You're a hell of a lot of fun when it's all good, dude. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I, but but it's oh, it's rarely good between my ears, and I go overboard for it. So I always created that character. And the first time I've been like, "Hey, um, man, I, that's just character. This is really what's going on." And that was a huge moment for my life, man. Really, really big. So, yeah, you know, I want people to understand the mastery of Rondé Barber. And when I say this, uh, there's a couple things. Hey, and I always tell my I tell my fighters, and I always tell players, man, it's your honor to play her. And one of the guys I learned that from is Rondé, and I always tell guys, hey, you don't show it, you don't show it. Now in life, I want everybody to show where our struggles are and open up. But you didn't miss a game. You have the the record for most consecutive games ever started as a defensive back. But it's not like you weren't injured, right? So first of all, list list off the injuries you played through. 
Oh God, I love this. Uh, and uh, I wrote and, about it in my book. Right, and well, it started in high school. I can go all the way back to high school, and a lot of this was, uh, to be honest with you, just in an effort to keep up with the twin, right? Because in high school, I broke my collarbone, uh, second game of our senior season. Senior season, right? It's last time I'm going to play high school with all the friends you grew up with. Broke my collarbone, and it was probably a month injury. I missed like two weeks and came back and played. And I think that was the start of the, you know, I'm going to do this regardless type of thing. Give me an opportunity to play, and I'm not ever going to leave. So from there. Uh, did, they, did they put a plate in it, or did they just heal it? Oh, they just set it. They didn't even, they didn't, wow. they just okay. set it. And just, you know, and then I put that, put that thing. I don't know if you ever broke your collarbone. Anybody out oh. there has ever broke that collarbone? They put that thing on your back that pulls your shoulders to set your collarbone. And uh, two weeks later, I said, "The hell with it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go play." But yeah, the list. Here we go. So this is a lot. Let's see if I can remember them all it's, it's sequentially. So it's gangster broke- shit, folks. It's gangster <laughs> shit. <laughs> so in college, uh, I had a stress fracture of my foot that ended up breaking, but I played through it for like the last four or five games uh, of of my redshirt freshman year. Then before the my third season playing at Virginia, I dislocated my elbow, compound dislocation. Uh, and they had to have surgery in the off season. And I played with that like three months later no, uh, to start that next season. But then we get to the, the NFL. And, man, it, besides this, I'm not going to even mention the soft tissue injuries, pulled hamstrings and the quads. Those those mean nothing. But I had a high ankle sprain in 98 that I played and, through. And never missed a game, folks, through all this. Go ahead. High ankle sprain in 98 that I played through. Uh, it may have been 99. Um, in uh, 2002, I broke my thumb during a game, played through it, and then had surgery, played the next week. That same year, I tore my PCL in the back of my right knee, uh, also the Super Bowl year, so I was not going to not play. So I played through that, had surgery, and that bothered me for probably the next four or five years of my career. Uh, I uh, 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 shattered my forearm uh, in, a, in a game in 2011, uh, what else? What, what was the other one? Um, a tore, a tore meniscus in my left knee, the other knee for my PCL, uh, that I played through, um, probably in 2006 or seven. And it, it just, it, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop playing. Like if I, if I was able to walk, I was going to play. And if it was an upper body injury, I was going to definitely play. I think my foot would have had to fall off for me to actually not, not play. Um, Is that something you were taught or is it? Just because you said, well, I wanted to keep up. I was a twin, and I didn't want to fall behind Tiki. Well, a little bit of that, but I think mostly, um, to be real honest, I got on the field in high school and in the pros because somebody got hurt. Somebody got hurt. It gave me an opportunity to play, and I never stopped playing from from then on out. And so it was this um, – I, I, I've used it this term, like this fear of failure, but really it was like a fear of somebody else, you know, getting an opportunity that I thought that I, that I worked hard to, to get. And I didn't want, I didn't want to give anybody else that opportunity. And that's selfish to, to a degree, but. Uh, no, it's, it's not. Also, yeah, that's not selfish yeah. at all. But, but, it, but, it, but it also. It'll drive. Yeah. It also helped drive a mentality that allowed me to be great. You know, cause if, if I'm not, if I'm not a hundred percent and I'm still performing, then when I am a hundred percent, I'm going to be really, really good. And, um, I don't know. It just, it just stuck with me. And I, I don't know. I think people doubted me for so long early in my career that I think there was a sense that I had, I had to prove them wrong mm-hmm. and being hurt didn't give me the opportunity to prove them wrong. So I just chose not to be hurt. 
So I'll tell you the mastery of Ronnie Barber. He and I are sitting in a bar in New York. We're watching Monday Night Football and Washington play in Dallas. And all of a sudden, Ronnie says, oh, this will be a eight-yard in to Lavernius Coles. Still remember the player. Right. <laughs> sure as shit, folks, it was an eight-yard in to Lavernius Coles. And I said, how'd you know that? And he just said, well, down in distance, it was, you know, seven yards, and third and seven. But you said, on film, I noticed Lavernius, when he's going to be the target, he's about two inches taller or shorter than when he's not the target or something along those lines. And I'm yeah. like, how the fuck do you see this on film, that tiny little thing? Unreal when it comes to watching film, but seeing those tiny little things. But it's not just you're on film. You're just watching on the game broadcast. Right. It's just, it, it's an obsession is what it was. You know, it was a, a, a obsession with detail and perfecting the, the details. I mean, we we can all go out, like you're a fighter, you know, you can all go out and perfect the technique and, and rep, rep, rep the technique uh, that, that's going to carry you through uh, a competition. But the mental prep was the same thing for me. It was that little tiny detail. I, I treated it just like practicing my back pedal or practicing my step and kick and man-to-man coverage or whatever in tackling form. Um, my prep was the exact same. It had to be detail-oriented, and it just stuck. It just sticks with you. So if I've seen it on film and I noticed it and I noted it, then uh, it's going to be there forever. So when we were watching that game, just sitting around having a more than a few cocktails, yeah. right? <laughs> more, than a few, more than a few cocktails as we're want to do. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, okay. This is this is what's getting ready to happen. Uh, let me let me let me impress Jay with my uh, with my yeah. people. And clearly, you have because I'm still talking about it, preaching the right. gospel. There's an art to watch and form. You know, I used to sit there and you know Strahan killed my social scene because he'd sit there and watch film, watch film, watch film. Like, oh, look, look at this. Look at John Runyon's foot. It's a half an inch tilted in. I'm like, what are you looking at? Man, nobody so, else cares about that, right? <laughs> but also, a lot of guys can't recognize it. They can't sure. see it. Did somebody teach you how to watch from, or is it just the repetition over the years? Because, folks, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not, when I say, oh, it's two inches or a half an inch, and he notices something like this in a camera that's way up at the top of the stadium. It's unreal. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. 
Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're looking at when you're looking at so much film, like the hours of film that really good players put into it, you notice the the minute details. Uh, like Frank Gore uh, back when he was playing for San Francisco, and I didn't find this one. Someone else told me this, but this is a good when we were studying him. Somebody else told me this when he was looking uh, to be a pass protector. His head was always moving. He was he was sur- surveying the field when he was going to get the ball. His eyes were dead straight, and it, you could always tell. And, you know, not every play. So he gave away a pass and run on every play. Every, not every play did that, you know, was I able to see that playing corner. But the few times where you're like, oh, wait a minute, let me check his head, and he's like this, you're like, okay, this is a run. And it, it, it just gives you information to get ready for that play. So you can call it cheating. You can call it guessing. Whatever you're not you cheating want. at all. It's it's right. you're, you're doing your work. Oh. Right. You're taking advantage Who of. Says it's cheating. Don't call it cheating. It's, right. it's preparation. Right. It's taking advantage of knowledge is what it is. When and knowledge and opportunity meet, preparation meet. Like you, you go make plays, and I, I I did that pretty well for a long time. And you know, give me give me another one that made it stand out to me. That you're like, oh, when this guy did that, like, um, let me think. Well, tell. I could always tell, uh, and this was this was a combination of things. I, and it, not that I ever covered this well, but uh, it was there was a tell between um, Steve Smith and Jake Delhomme when because you know they, ran, they they obviously they were a running team. They had those two great running backs, but they also had a damn good wide receiver, really damn good wide receiver, Hall of Famer in my mind. Uh, that was like a running back, and if the run play was um, going to be covered up by the by the, the call we had on defense, they would just pick up the ball and throw it out there this little now screen, you know, everybody does it now. They call it RPOs now, but back then it was just, he'd pick it up and throw it instead of running into a brick wall in a run game. And Jake DeLome and, and uh, Steve Smith had this, they had this little, I could tell because of the way that Steve Smith was angling his shoulders towards the quarterback. Cause he had to get ready to catch it. Um, you could tell that the ball was coming and Jake always had, he was like, Jake would be, would look. And if he was like that and he'd give up and throw it. I mean, I missed the tackle a whole bunch of times. <laughs> I guarantee you that I knew every time that that play was coming. And I, to be honest with you, I don't even know if he knew that he did it, but I knew that he did it because I needed a little bit of advantage to get that little fucker on the ground. Would you 
tell your teammates, the offensive guys, how often did you tell them, hey man, you're you're tipping this? Not very often. I no. wasn't I wasn't a sharer. <laughs> you weren't a sharer. <laughs> <laughs> I never know if that guy's going to get, like, I don't know if, uh, if, uh, Keenan McCardell or whoever was going to leave and go play for somebody else. I don't need them to know what I know. Okay. Uh, not, 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 not really. Uh, and I didn't study our guys like I studied other guys. Everybody has them, whether you know it or not, they're there if you look hard enough. Was it as you started getting older and it was funny, you know, Rhonda, he'd have this film room, kind of his name, the Rhonda Barber film room in there. Cause how much, he, you know, work he did. The funny part about that, Jay, is that it was an extra meeting room. It wasn't my room. It was an extra meeting room. We built, went to this new building because before I used to just go into the video room. I'd sit down in the video room at one old one buck, the trailers, and they had this little setup for me where I could just come in, sit down, practice, you know, with my pants, you know, practice gear still on, and just sit there and watch film. We'd shoot the shit, whatever. But then we moved into the new building and they put an extra meeting room down there and it, it was unoccupied. And I commandeered it. I made it my own and put all my shit in there. All my, like, like it was like an extension of my, my locker. I had everything that I needed in there to go in there and watch film. And I'd, I'd spend hours in there. Um, so as guys were coming in and out, you know, I've been with you where people ask you, Hey, you know, what'd you do here? What'd you do for preparation? Did you always offer teach these young guys, Hey man, come watch film or did it also get to the point at one point where like, Hey, I didn't want to do it. So I'm not going to offer it anymore. Did you always do it? No, I always did it. And I tell guys all the time, hey, I'm going to be in here. If you want to come in and watch it, let's go watch. And the one guy that, that really embraced it, I mean, he didn't do it every day with me, was Akib. And I got Akib really early. Uh, to Akib Talib. Yeah, early in my in his career. Uh, and and I, I think that if you ask him, he'll, he'll to this day talk about the influence that I had. Because he was physically gifted, man. I mean, he's long, he's fast, very aggressive, perfect mentality for football. Um, that's why he played so long and was so successful on three or maybe four different teams. But at the very beginning, he was the one guy that I most remember saying, I'm going to go in and sit down with, with, with Rondé and, and figure out what he's looking at. You know, because he obviously, by that point, I'd been in the league for 10 years and uh, and he was inquisitive. And, and I think uh, some of what I did rubbed off on him. But dude, I was in there every day. I mean, the guys would come in and out and I'd always tell them to come in. And what I really wanted to do, Jay, was, to get them to come in and study themselves. Like it's easy to study your opponent. It's it's easy to look at other people, but to look at yourself critically, that's without a coach telling you, Hey, you need to do this. Hey, it would be, if you, have you ever thought about doing that? I want you to do it. I was good because I did it. Um, I went and looked at my footwork and, you know, if I stepped wrong on a play in practice, I wanted to know why I did it. So I could go out the very next day and correct it. And that's, I talk about all the time, perfecting your craft. That's that's what perfecting your craft is. It just doesn't happen. Like you have to know what you're doing wrong to understand what you're doing right. And um, there was a lot of guys that actually fell in line with that and got better because uh, some of my influence in that regard is awesome. It also led to you to being the only member player in NFL history to have 45 interceptions and 25 sacks. Yeah, yeah. one of one. Which yeah. gave you the more more joy, the picks or the sacks? Definitely the interceptions, just because they're so hard to come by. I mean, interceptions are not easy. I mean, if you're funny, you're five foot three like me. Sacks right. are way hard to come by for you than picks. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. Earlier in my career, it was definitely the sacks because that's where I was getting my most opportunities because we we were blitzing so much. You know that zone dog mentality that Monty Kiffin and uh, the Eagles uh, defensive coordinator um, uh, Jim Johnson. Johnson. 
Yeah, had the, those type of D coordinators were just coming into vogue then. And so we did it a lot. And at the time, people didn't really know how to deal with it. And so I had a lot of free runs. But then when they started to pick them up, I had to figure out how to beat the guy that they were signing to block to me. Um, so it, it, to get to 28 sacks is what I ended up with was a pretty special number. I wish it would have, I wish I, I wanted to get to 30, but Shiano made me a safety my last year and didn't play me a nickel. So I didn't get to 30. That's a, that's a different conversation. Um, <laughs> he won't be in the whole face. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, the, but the interceptions, man, like the, the, the feeling of taking away uh, a, a route or a concept that they've worked so hard on and that you overplayed and take, took the ball away. That was pretty awesome. The amount of prep to get interception was 10 times what it was to get a sack, put it that way. So the interceptions always felt like more rewarding. Plus, you know, teams trying to score and you get the ball back. I mean, it changed. Those are game changing type plays. I think to me, the the corners in the league, we need safeties too, but the corners in the league that take the ball away, I don't care how good you are technically, the ones that take the ball away are the best players in in football. Would you have freedom to just go and blitz certain times when you want or is it always called? Uh, Most of them were called. There's a few times where, you know, I had a that a boy kind of sack. I sacked Tony Romo and we played Dallas at home, um, uh, whatever year that was. It was was Raheem's years. And uh, I'm sitting on the end of the line of scrimmage. They had a formation set away from me so I'm a corner on the end of the line of scrimmage and I thought it was a run play and so I was being aggressive playing supposed to be playing in the flat or whatever and I just went I was like well I guess I guess wrong see if I could I better get this I better get him (laughs) see if I can make myself right and uh and I did he had no idea I was coming he turned right around out of this bootleg and and I he had he just went to the ground got an easy set but yeah like that, that I was supposed to be in coverage and uh, uh, got a sack out of it. So it, it happened every now and then. Give me a quick one line or a couple lines for the biggest lesson you learned from these names. Tony Dungy? Yeah. Dude, Tony taught me, taught us all, but taught me humility and patience. You know, that you're not always going to be the right away guy. Because uh, I obviously, Tony was my coach my first year in the NFL and I, I didn't play, I only played in one game. Well, two games. I played in the playoff game only one regular season game and it was humbling from a guy who for me came from college three-time all ACC and then all-american three times uh ACC rookie of the year all I had known was success coming into the league and the next thing you know I am like irrelevant as a as a first-year player and that was was humbling um but he always was encouraging and the way that he handled us as a team but specifically everybody on the team, not just the Warren Saps and the Derek Brooks and the guys that were really challenging uh, being the best players on the team, but the guys that weren't, he helped me understand that I needed to do more. And when I did, I became a really good player. You actually taught me something he taught you also last year at the Hall of Famer two years ago. He told me he had taught you football's not a career, it's an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you- that was that was yeah. uh, that was that was that Herm said that to me first, but yes, that oh, it was Herm. Okay, yeah, that was uh, my bad. That was one of the first things Herm told you. Told oh. you got got in, and he's like, and Herm had been there. Right, right you did say Herm. I've been hitting the head a lot too, so I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you did tell me at Peyton Manning's Hall of Fame. That part I know. Good. 
Yes, yes, it's exactly right. Uh, yeah, he first thing he said is like, men, it's not this isn't a this isn't a career. This is an opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of men that want to do what you're doing right now, and there are a lot that aren't doing it. Are, are you going to do what it takes to become the guy that's, that can make this? Uh, this opportunity lasts long, and and, and yeah, that was, it was those were impactful words because you get in the league, you think that man, this thing's gonna last forever, and you start playing, you think this thing's gonna last forever. But in the back of my mind, those words always stayed there. It's just an opportunity, man, and it's not finite. It's gonna end, right? It's not infinite. I'm sorry. It's it's finite. It's gonna end, and just always knowing that just helps. It helped me probably be the guy that we were talking about earlier. That take your opportunities, your chances to play. Don't give them up, you know, because any one missed game is could be your last. And I wasn't wasn't willing to let that happen. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women. And this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the best lesson you learned from Mike Tomlin, who, by the way, folks, when Herm Edwards left, I got calls from Rondé and a bunch of people in there going, 
Man, nobody would replace her. No, they got this new guy coming in, Mike Tomlin. No shot, no shot. It took them all about a day going, this dude's unbelievable. <laughs> right. That's, that's a funny story. We, we got in, we get in and it's the off season, right? But I, I got a story about Mike that goes back before he was actually our coach. But I remember the first day of off season work, like the OTAs, they were much longer back then. Now they're like, it's like 11 hours in. three weeks of work in the freaking off season. They don't do anything. But back then we're out first day doing new drills. And I remember Lynch came up to me and said, Ronnie, what is up with this dude, man? We're doing <laughs> all these drills that we probably did in college. We don't need to do this stuff. But after like a week, literally everybody's like, okay, I'm getting better. I'm getting better by doing this, these minute detailed drills. Uh, that seem irrelevant at the time, but it helped, it helped the, that perfection thing. And he was really, really good at like convincing you that it was going to make you a better player. And then obviously it did. But yeah, Mike T, Mike T was the first one. If you're asking for lessons from, from these guys, Mike T was the first guy that offered a mentality adjustment for me uh, because I had been successful, right? I, I, I was a starter at that point. I wasn't very production wise. I wasn't very I wasn't great, but he saw something in me that he said was going to differentiate me from the crowd. Uh, and it was the way that I played inside, played nickel. He's like, I've watched all of your tape. Nobody's doing this. And you're the only person I've ever seen do these reps like this. And he's like, how can we get better? And how can we get you to 20 sacks? And I'm like, I'm not thinking about sacks. I, mean, I only had six interceptions at the time in my career. It was like four years in. I had six interceptions. I'm like, how can I get more interceptions? He's like, dude, we're going to make you a 2020 guy. And I'm like, okay. And we went about to do it. And 12 years later, I was 45, 25 guy. And he got you to have confidence in yourself. Yeah, and you yeah. He made me believe. He made me believe that I was on a level that I didn't think that I was on. It was refreshing because he was really the first guy that gave me that. It empowered me to be the guy that's now about to get a gold jacket. So many special things about Mike Tomlin. And I think one of the things that's great too, as you said, man, you guys were all complaining that first week. Mike Tomlin could care less what anybody thinks of him. <laughs> he does not care at all. It's such an art form and a gift. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, it, and, it, and he does it. It's not premeditated. No, it's, it's not like, Plan, he doesn't sit down and write it out and plan it out and like this is what I'm going to say to these guys today. Now you put him in any situation and ask him a question that he has never heard before, he's going to give you the right answer. And it, it's he's the most unbelievable guy I've ever seen at being able to do that. Uh, and, he, and he obviously, he, he was my coach for five years. I, I got a lot of it and I absorbed it all. Um, I feel like I gave him some too, but he gave me more. He gave me much, much more. And I appreciate the hell out of him, man. He, he changed. He changed my career. Changed the trajectory of my career, without a doubt. And obviously, we're going to see him in, in Canton with the whole crew as well. Oh yeah, he'll be there. You've had a lot of huge plays. Obviously, big plays in the Super Bowl, big plays in playoffs against Philly. I mean, huge plays. Is there one that stands out more for you that you you lay your head on your pillow at night and that just lifts you up till today? Yeah, there, and there's. It's actually it was towards the latter part of my career, to be honest with you. Obviously, the Philly play in, in the NFC Championship game is the one that everybody knows about. It was biggest. But I was at my, you know, I was at my peak. It was coming off the year that I led the league in interceptions. Uh, it was that next year. And, you know, I was in, I was playing my best ball. I, literally, I was at the peak. Um, and I've stated that, that being a plateau for a lot more years. 
But there was a time, I think it was 08, when you talk about mental health, uh, when I was kind of down in the dumps because I think I was 30, how old would I have been in 08? 33 years old. You know, I'd had a long career already. We just drafted Akib, who we were talking about earlier. And the team wanted to replace me. They wanted to put Akib in, in a game. And I was devastated. Um, you know, I'd had, and it wasn't to think, talk, thinking about starts, consecutive starts, all that stuff, but I'd had like a, a long career and I was very well valued and, uh, and viewed by a team and everybody else in the middle of the season, they're thinking about starting this rookie over me. And, uh, it didn't end up happening. Uh, that's a, that's another very long story, but it didn't end up happening. And that next game, dude, we played Detroit and, I had a two interception game, one for a touchdown. And it was the second one that most stands out in my mind as the play that sprung board the latter, like the last four years of my career, because it was like, shit, this dude still has it. And it I'm was, not done. Right. Not done. Not even close to being done. I can listen was, to them like, thinking I'm done. Right. It was a comeback, which is a hard play to intercept. Uh, came off the loop that we call it. That's a technique. Came off the loop, stuck my foot in the ground. Came came and undercut this 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 receiver. Dante Culpepper kind of laid it out to the sideline. I picked up a sweet pick too. I had to reach up and go get it, and then scored. And it was like, okay, that mental health health crisis that I was having, that crisis of confidence that I was starting to have again, that shit's gone. And uh, it I played four more years after that, and it was pretty powerful moment for me still that I like to share with a lot with people about, you know, that, that perseverance and finding ways, you know, to force your will on your opponent, right. To force your will on a situation. And uh, it, it happened right for me that day. It's also like, a, it's a gift you taught yourself to not label yourself what everybody else was labeling you as, which your whole right. career, it's kind of been it, right. Yeah. Everybody is always, how do you, how are you able to do that? Not let people define you, but you have been able to define yourself yeah. despite how they describe you yeah that's exactly it's actually kind of the message of my hall of fame speech to be honest with you, jay uh you know because there's a lot of people out there whether they just didn't care to know what how what i was or undervalued me or whatever those voices you have to realize aren't your own because it's easy to let them be your own they either if they're doing they're so loud and they're so like let's make a judgment on jay glazer jay glazer no way jay glazer is going to be a uh, the, the most prominent scoop breaker <laughs> now i'm not calling it an insider that's not you you're not an insider dude. all those other fuckers are insiders you're you're you're, you're the scoopage king right how am i going to define myself jay glazer as being the scoopage king it was the same thing hey, how can i let what other people's voices are saying define me and you just choose not if you choose not to you, you open up yourself the possibility to be whatever you want to be I don't know where that came from, largely because I knew that I wasn't going to be a failure. I wasn't going to allow myself to be that. I had destined in my mind to be something better than that, than what they expected of me. And uh, at the end of the day, that was that was all I needed. And it helps being good at your craft and, you know, having a mentality that allows you to get through it where th those opinions don't bear you. But over the course of a 16-year career, I proved a lot of people wrong. And that was... Uh, that was at the end of the day. Now that's very rewarding. Right, and this is the first time we've put it to words. It's one of the best talents or skills or whatever you want to say. One of the best qualities that you have had over the years. Just not ever let anybody tell you who you are, and you decide. I'm going to make up who I am. It's just right. been incredible. It's been incredible for me to have a 
the front row seat to it all. My last question. I ask all my guests this. Give me a moment in your life that should have broken you, but didn't. And as a result, you came through the other side of that tunnel much stronger, hence unbreakable. And you can use that for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's a good one. God, I have to think about that one because there's probably been a couple. I, I know one very early in life. And I'm not even sure what age I was now. Uh, probably about 13. And we were a close-knit family. You know this. You know about my mom and my aunts. And and uh, I remember waking up one morning. My mom told me that her oldest sister, the one just below my mom, my mom's the oldest, uh, was killed, murdered. And that moment was... It was the first time in my life that I had had felt lost like that. Um, you know, Brief. old people die, you know, you, you around enough old people, you know, they're going to pass away. You expect it. This was unexpected. And I, I don't know that, that it so much changed me, but it jaded me. And it, it gave me this realization that, you know, life is fragile. We were young, dude. Tegan and I were very young. I, I want to say we were 12. And I should know this this year, but it's blanking on me right now. But the reality was it, it easily could have broke us. It could have broke our family, uh, but it didn't. We persevered through it. We found a way to make ourselves adjust to the grief and just to the loss. And I use that word jaded because nothing else could be more important than losing a loved one. And at the end of the day, whatever happened, we made it through that. So we can make it through anything. That was your first real sign of grief. Right. And not knowing how to deal with it, it too. I mean, I watched my mom deal with it and my grandmother deal with it and my other two aunts deal with it. And the the struggle that that really is, that is, that's, un, it's, it's unmarkable. You can't say how it affects any one person. But grief is real. It's tough, man. And if you can get through the other side of it, there can be joy uh, and revelations of, that life is precious and you just have to love it when you have it. Well, brother, I cannot wait to see you this week. I'm so excited to see you this week, man. And listen, I love when things happen for me that are really cool, but life is amazing when it happens to people that you love. And nobody deserves just more than you, man. The hard work you put in, the hours and hours and hours and hours that I have witnessed, the injuries you played through, the just the grunt and, and, man, the, the tears that you spilt that no one else ever saw. I'm proud of you. Thanks, man. I love you, dude. Love you too. There for me. It's going to be a <laughs> party. It'll be fun afterwards too. Oh, it'll be great, man. <laughs> hey, and once again, thank you for answering my call that day and clearing your schedule, telling me you'll be there for me because I think it changed the trajectory of a lot of people's lives. I was able to talk about it. What happens when you call a friend saying, I'm struggling? You were the Hello. first man and Definitely not the last now. I love you, man. I'll always be there for you, brother. Always. Rondé Barber, Hall of Famer. Thank you, brother. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.